Before we read the scripture this morning, I want to just say a couple things about what I've been doing this weekend. We are fresh off our elder retreat Friday and Saturday, and we had a wonderful time together. I love our leadership team, and I, I personally think we've got the best staff and elders in the world. And um, I love preaching, but I especially love preaching after coming back from an elders retreat or the shepherds conference, because I always come back pumped more to serve Jesus and, and to share the word. So um, I'm excited to talk today about living in the last days. I have been excited all these five weeks we've been doing it, but we're dealing with the end times, and we're dealing with Jesus' return. And over the past five weeks, we have dealt with signs of Christ's return. We have dealt with some details associated with his return. We have seen a few verses actually about his actual return. And then we focused on our certain hope in Christ, the certainty of our hope in Christ. But basically, if you think about it, we're kind of, we're through the rough spots in Matthew 24. We've been through the moguls, and we're kind of uh, out, into the, out into the clearing now, and it's, 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 it's just um, smooth sailing, right? Not so fast. Because, and you're going to see this as, I, as we get into this passage, now... Jesus is shifting very clearly from the rest of chapter 24 all the way through chapter 25 about how to live in light of his return. We're, we're past the details and the things that, are, that a lot of people get hung up on, and now we actually get into the living it. So it's really the hardest part. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 24. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're, we're going to... We're going to see in this passage really an exhortation from Jesus uh, regarding vigilance. And precisely because the day and the hour of his coming is unknown to humanity. And life goes on as it always has. And people become unconcerned regarding his return. So we're going to look at the idea that this is something God only knows. Only God knows the time of Christ's return. Therefore, we need to keep watch and be ready. So Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, 
My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge today that you are sovereign and strong, and we acknowledge that these are strong words. We acknowledge that your word is strong, and we pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would do a work in our hearts today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking today really about two things. Number one, things only God knows regarding when Jesus will return. And number two, how he wants us to be living in preparation for what only God knows. I want you to notice the contrast right away. I want you to look at verse 33 of Matthew 24. And notice that Jesus says in that verse that there is something we will know. He says, when you see all of these things, you know that he is near, standing right at the door. Jesus, talking about himself, is saying, when you see these signs, when you see these occurrences, you're going to know that Jesus is coming back. But here, the contrast in verse 36 is, basically he's saying, here's what you won't know. Here's what you don't know. He says, concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels and And nor the Son, but the Father only. So here Jesus is giving a direct answer to the question about the time of his coming. And he basically says, no one knows except the Father. He's saying only God knows. Now how many times in the last seven years have you heard me say only God knows? A.K.A. O.G.K. How many times have you heard me say that? A lot of times, right? When we're dealing with tricky subjects, when we're dealing with things that we don't know, the best answer, which isn't a cop-out, it is actually a proclamation of truth that in this situation, only God knows. We don't know. God does. Jesus says, of that day and hour, no one knows except the Father. The expression day or hour is, is used throughout Scripture to indicate a general reference to time. This includes not only the day and the hour, but also the year and the month. Which is why Harold Camping is so crazy. Didn't read the Bible, I guess. Forgot about what the Bible says about Jesus saying this. Now, interestingly, the disciples wanted Jesus to fix a a specific time. It's like they wanted to put it on their calendars and they could just kind of look ahead and get ready right before or something. They wanted Jesus to give them a precise time and Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Go with me over to Acts chapter 1. After the cross, after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus has gathered them in Jerusalem. He told them, you go wait, and you wait for what the Father has promised. You're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6 says, when they came together, they asked him a question. And here's what they asked him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They had all these expectations. All these political ideas and these national ideas. And Jesus answered very clearly, it's not for you to know. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons or epochs 
that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's saying, that's not your deal. What your deal is, is you're going to be my witnesses. Where we get our word martyr. You're going to be my witnesses. And, and it's, there's going to be concentric circles going out. As the Holy Spirit fills you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the globe. So Jesus is saying, the thing you can know, the thing you should know, the thing you should be all about is being my witnesses. You're going to be taking the gospel everywhere you go. But you will not know the day, nor the hour, the year, nor the month. Now, we've found ourselves knee-deep in things that have spawned countless controversies and debates and generated lots of confusion amongst the body of Christ in terms of the end times. And I've mentioned before that dealing with the end times, there's this tendency to to when you're dealing with events surrounding the Lord's return to either get hyper involved in deciphering minute details or to get totally um, unconcerned get totally detached you know like you know this is too tough for me I can't figure it out it gives me a headache whatever I'm just going to run away from it I don't, I'm not going to think about it one of my goals has been and still is that for those that are holding on too tightly to non-essentials they would just lighten up and spur the disinterested on to get a better grip of biblical truth. Christians should know the word of God. But you are not going to get all your questions answered. I'm not going to get all my questions answered. You won't get them answered today. You won't get them uh, at Grace Bible Institute tonight. You're not going to go away, by the way. One of our goals is not for you to go, wow, I'm smart. I'm, I know all the answers. My view's the best. What we want you to do is grapple with the word of God and think we want you to think biblically about everything in life. And tonight we'll be focusing on the end times and on different views of the end times. There are some things that only God knows. It's the way it is. And until the time of his choosing to reveal those things, it's going to stay that way. And we need to be humble and mature enough to accept that fact. There are certain things we should all agree on. But there are certain things that all Christians should agree to disagree on, which are the non-essential things. The things on which we agree are, are very simple, but we know that there will be a sudden, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ. It has been promised it will happen. We should eagerly await and long for that return, but we don't know when it is. The details are not fully agreed upon all the precise timings of things you can't have assurance on those things they're not understood or agreed upon fully by all christians and at the same time we believe the bible is inerrant it is infallible it is the word of god that does its work in those who believe but nevertheless there will be some things that remain in the ogk category until he chooses to to reveal I've said this before, I've said it really repeatedly, but really, and I've told you a couple weeks ago, I told you what the best end times view for you to hold is. I'm very convinced about it. The best end times view for you to hold is the biblical one that keeps you loving Jesus the most and longing for his return most intently while you live this life for his glory. I am convinced of that. Now with that, let's keep moving on through this passage. 
verse 36, Jesus already said, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven. And then he says, nor the son, which has thrown a lot of people for a loop. They don't get it. They go, wait a minute. Um, Does that mean he doesn't know now? Let's think it through. When Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he had no knowledge of the date and time of his return. Here's Jesus, fully God, God incarnate. Read all about it in John chapter 1. That we, he became man. He voluntarily restricted the use of certain divine attributes. He did not manifest them unless directed by the Father. John 4 talks about that. John 5 talks about that. John 6 talks about that. He demonstrated his omniscience on several occasions. We see it in, in the New Testament. But we also see him voluntarily restrict that omniscience to the things God wanted him to do during the days of his humanity on earth. We know that. Such was the case of the date and time of his return. So to answer the question, does he know now? Of course he does. After the resurrection, he resumed his full divine knowledge. So he didn't know now. He knows today. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all know when the Son's coming back. But for us, it will remain a mystery until that time. Now Jesus said previously in this passage my words will by no means pass away the word of god is is going to stand it is impossible for god's word to be negated it is impossible for it to be destroyed or altered in any way and you can know the word of god with assurance but you cannot know what god has not revealed even in his word jesus is saying you cannot know the day or hour of his return and he seems to widen that that time frame in Acts chapter 1. It is not for you to know the times. It's, it's the Greek word chronos. It's where we get our word chronology. And epochs, the idea of a, of, a, of a length of time. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't study the word of God and try to figure things out. What Jesus is saying is, it's not for you to know with preciseness the details of the truth that you hold dear. We all believe that Jesus is coming back. But we need to keep very solid in the fact that only God knows. Now there's an interesting thing in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew that I want to point out to you before we go further. It's this. How much Jesus talks about certain things. Because there have been whole books written on different views of the end times. And I've read a lot of them. And, and there's some really good ones. But they disagree with the sincere and intelligent christians differ on these things with each other but but get this matthew chapter 24 how much of the chapter is about the signs of jesus's coming a third of the chapter a third that's it how much is about his actual second coming like four verses what's the rest about the rest of matthew chapter 24 and all of matthew chapter 25 there is an overwhelming majority slant towards being prepared for his return that's what it's all about that's what jesus wants us focusing on but isn't it interesting that people almost bait themselves into focusing on more the minute details than on living it we'd rather you know think about it and talk about it than actually live it jesus by the way is going to drive home this one point using seven examples we're going to see four of them today and over the next several weeks we'll look at the last three But in the four examples that we're going to see today, there is one historical reference, there are two word pictures, and one parable. That's what we'll see today. 
In fact, look at verses 37 to 39. It's the first of the four examples. Jesus is giving a historical reference. He is basically pointing us to the Genesis account of the flood. So the first thing we see here is the days of Noah. Jesus is talking about there, will be su- there was sudden destruction in the days of Noah. There will be sudden destruction when he returns. He's given a historical reference. He's saying, just as in the days before the flood, what will people do? What were they doing? They were just following their ordinary pursuits. It will be the same way when Jesus comes back. Despite the distress, despite the persecutions, despite the upheavals that will be going on, which you see in verses 4 through 28 of Matthew 24, life will go on. People will eat, people will drink, people will get married. And, and the people of Noah's day didn't heed the warnings. They just kept doing all the things they usually did. They continued to carry on their normal activities, unaware and unconcerned. So they were caught off guard. Why were they caught off guard? Because they were so wrapped up in their daily activities, the ordinary events of life. So they, had, they gave no, no concern to the warnings that Noah had given about what was going to happen. Now, in contrast, you got Noah and his family. 1 Peter 3 tells us there were eight, of, eight people total that got safely brought through the flood. Everyone else perished. Noah and his family went about with their preparations of building the ark. They were waiting for this future deluge and, and even though they saw no specific signs of its coming, and they didn't know the time of its arrival till it came, it came upon the world, and they believed God, and they prepared. So when Jesus returns, Jesus is saying, look, just like in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, all the way until the day Noah entered the ark. And verse 39, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So Jesus says it's going to be just like that when he returns. People are going to be, they're eating. You know, someone's going to be gnawing on a carrot stick, watching their TV, watching a sporting event or whatever. Maybe they're munching Fritos. Maybe they're nibbling on toast. I don't know. They're going to be eating, doing people, things people do every day. And they're going to be drinking and doing that. And they're going to be going to, to weddings and parties. And they're going to just do everything. They're going to go to their work and go to school and what have you. They're doing their thing. Here's what Jesus is describing. A way of life that has no concern for impending catastrophe. No thought at all. It's as if a huge meteor was hurtling towards earth and almost shadowing the earth with with a big cloud and you walk around thinking, I'm not even going to look up because it's just a big cloud and who cares? Maybe it'll rain, whatever, it'll go away, the sun will come out. See, when Jesus returns, it will be like, like Noah and, and the flood. It had been predicted, but people ignored the prediction until it was too late. The second coming of Jesus is going to break into the every ordinary events of life and it's going to bring destruction on the unconcerned. It's going to be a time of widespread indifference. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3. You'll see that this will happen that people will actually be doing their normal thing there'll be a lot of normalcy they will have you know materialistic endeavors um, everyone's going to be thoroughly involved in the pursuit of of their earthly affairs and ambitions first second peter chapter three verse three no know, know this first of all scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires 
They're going to keep doing what they want to do, and they will scoff. They're going to say, verse 4, where is the promise of Christ's coming? They're going to say, hey, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And God says they deliberately overlook this one fact, that the heavens and the earth, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10 says the day of the Lord is going to come upon them like a thief. Jesus is talking about that too. So there will be the sudden destruction that happens. Jesus will come, basically, at a time when his coming will be the farthest thing from a lot of people's minds. That's what he's saying. Second thing we see here in verses 40 and 41 is that when that happens, there's going to be this sudden division, this sudden, sudden um, separation that happens. And he uses the example of people working together in just daily work. So it's a word picture. And he says, you know, there's going to be two men in the fields working. Presumably, you know, pretty much in the same area, side by side, and one will be taken and one left. So there's this division, this separation, and it's going to be obvious. Then he gives an example in verse 41 of two women will be grinding at the mill. We get this picture of out in the country or something, and they're down at the mill. That's not, that's not what this is talking about. And it's also not talking about the heavy millstone that Jesus says you should go swimming with if you cause one of the little ones who believe in him to stumble. What, 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 what Jesus is referring to here was what was called a hand mill. And in those days, it was like, it was um, general issue for everyone's house. It was like having a toaster oven, okay? Everybody had a hand mill. I mean, they were either a couple ounces to a couple pounds um, each. They weren't big. And the way you would use this is two women would squat down opposite each other with the mill in between them. They would take turns turning the mill 180 degrees. And they would grind the grain for household use. And what Jesus is, is pointing to is this. When, when they used the mill like that, usually it was two sisters or a mother and a daughter or two household servants. So Jesus is saying that regardless of the closeness of the relationship, no matter how close that relationship, one's going to be taken and the other will be left. And it's this division, this separation that will happen. And one's going to be taken and one will be left. And someone's getting judged and someone's getting blessed. Someone's getting heaven, someone's getting hell. And a lot of people have have tried to figure out where are they taken and who's left. Some people say, well, it's a believer being taken to be with Jesus. They say, it's, it's obvious. And someone else will say, no, 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 it's a believer being taken to be judged. It's obvious. So some see believers being caught up to be with Jesus. Others, unbelievers, taken to be judged. Look at the, both those views. The taking and the leaving. That could indicate that one is taken to the safety to enjoy the coming of the Son of Man, the blessing of the arrival of the Son of Man. It's like Noah and his family in the ark, right? Uh, the other is left to experience the wrath of the son of man like those who died at the arrival of the flood so there's a plausibility to that in that in this view's favor is the the corresponding with some sense with the angels who gather the elect at the coming of the son of man 
seems to be consistent with the parables that follow but then uh, on the, at the same time people will say no it's 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 really not clear or even particularly important um, whether taken means taken in judgment but then they'll point out well hey there's one view where you can say well it's taken in judgment because the view the verb took away differs from taken in verses 40 and 41 or taken to be gathered to the elect in verse 31 so you can you can kind of take it either way let me just tell you what the point is though remember this it's it's very easy to bait ourselves into being into being um hyper detailed uh you get into hyper detailism and and what happens is you forget the context what is jesus talking about he is speaking here about being prepared for the suddenness of his return so we get focused on who's taken and who's left when he wants us focused on he's coming really suddenly that's it that's the point the second coming of jesus again is going to break into the ordinary activities of life and it's going to cause disruption it's going to cause division and it's going to occur at a time so unexpected it's so unannounced it will catch people in the middle of their daily work doing just normal things that's the idea now go go with me to verses 43 to 44 he uses the example of a thief breaking into a house the sudden intrusion of a thief he has just said in verse 42 stay awake based on what i've already told you stay awake be alert you don't know on what day your lord is coming but then he says look know this and again stressing the unexpectedness of his coming he says what if the if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming he would have stayed awake so if he got tipped off he would be waiting for the thief or let's say the thief called up and said hey i'm wondering if 3 30 in the morning will work for you will that work for your schedule well let me check yeah we're good well now the thief is no longer a thief he's an invited guest right so that doesn't work either jesus is saying it's going to be at an unknown hour and they didn't live in a day of burglar alarms and security gates and and police force you were in charge of the safety of your own home should be today as well I just got an email from someone, one of my friends in South Africa, and, and it, when we were in South Africa recently, you were basically living uh, behind a security fence, which is behind another security fence, with electric fences on top of both of those security fences, and bars on your windows. In fact, one person just last week um, caught a, a would-be thief in the middle of the night who was basically reaching through the barred windows uh, that were open with a long pole to fish out a cell phone off of a table. They, they basically uh, caught, you know, uh, um, saw him and told him to stop or whatever, and he went running off into the night. Jesus says his coming is going to be like a thief in the night that you don't set an appointment with. It just happens. You're robbed, you feel violated. They don't send out invitations. You don't get advance notice. Now, who's the thief? Jesus says the devil is a liar and a thief. He came, comes only to, to steal, kill, and to destroy. And what Jesus is saying about his return is that it will be sudden without prior warning as that as a thief in the night. Jesus is not comparing himself to the character of a thief. That's the devil. That's the character of a thief. What Jesus is comparing himself to is his coming is like that of a thief. The unexpectedness. Both the thief in the night and the second coming of Christ will be unannounced and unexpected. So be ready. 
Remember, Jesus is making the same point over and over again here. Now you go to verses 45 to 51, and you see a parable. And he's talking about a sudden conclusion that's going to happen and wrap things up. Uh, and, and he uses the example of two servants. And, and he's really explaining here what it means to be ready, what it means to be watching. You know, what it means, as I've been saying over and over again, what it means to be loving Jesus with all your heart and longing for his return while you live this life. And, and Jesus says, who's the faithful and wise servant? The sensible servant, the, the thoughtful servant, the servant that says, all I want to do is please my master. Who is that faithful and wise servant whom his master finds him doing when he returns? And, and he gives an example of, of what the master was supposed to do. He was set over the household to give them their food at the proper time. And don't go looking for some hidden meanings of what that means. Oh, it's a pastor who's preaching every week to the congregation. No, it's for every believer to listen up to. He's using this as a parable and he's saying, look, there's a servant and his master gave him a job and he does the job and so he's blessed. And if he doesn't do the job, he's in the wicked servant category and if he says, hey, well, my master's not coming back, I'm just going to slack off, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to squander his stuff and I'm not going to feed anyone else and I'm only going to think about myself, he's going to get a reward that, that you don't want. He's going to cut him in pieces. He's going to assign him to a place with the hypocrites. And, and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very clear, clear allusion to hell. There are heavy notes of judgment in these verses. At the same time, there are heavy notes of blessing. There's going to be this blessing and resulting happiness for the good and faithful servant. There's going to be judgment and resulting misery for those who, who aren't faithful. He's talking about keeping watch and being ready. He's talking about being prepared. But what does it mean to be, keep watch and be ready? Well, think of it. In light of things that only God knows, he's telling them, you keep watch. That's the idea of a con- constant vigil. Waiting. Watching. Aware. And it doesn't mean sitting quietly and passively like looking at the sky. You know, the angel said to the apostles in Acts 1, how come you're looking at the sky? This, same G- this Jesus who you saw go up into heaven will come in the same way. Stop looking at the sky. So it's not just this passive, you know, gazing into the sky. What, what, it, what it's pointing to is serving God right now in everything you're called to do. Uh, being diligent to obey God. That's uh, being the faithful and wise servant whom his master finds him doing his assigned tasks when he comes. Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, watch and pray. So he was sounding the warning for believers to be on guard in these two very practical ways. You know, watching, that's the stay awake, don't fall asleep, be alert, and, and then pray. You know, make sure, you just know you are dependent on God every moment. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. There's some things here we need to really think about. I want to point some things out to you that are, that are items of interest that, that we should be very, very excited to think about regarding keeping watch and being ready before Jesus comes. Also known as serving the Lord with gladness and being diligent to obey God and wanting to please Him over everything. Well, you could call it performing your assigned tasks, doing your job. So let me, let me point a few things out. And by the way, I brought some things to, to help us remember. I brought a couple things to show you. First thing I brought 
has a question attached to it, but it's a, it's a camera. It's an old camera. Circa 1987, Minolta Maxim 7000, the state-of-the-art camera at the time. Well, here's a question for you. Have you given much thought in light of the, the sudden destruction that is promised? Have you given much thought to your focus in life? This camera in my hands was given to me by my parents in, in August of 1987. I was about to go to Irian Jaya, Indonesia on a missions trip, and they wanted me to have a really good camera to take some great pictures with. So I took like thousands of slides. Remember slides? Some of you don't know what slides are, but I still have some. You, could, you can look them, hold them up to the light now. You need a slide projector for that, right? But this, this camera, the, what, what was special about it at the time was it was the first effective autofocus uh, SLR camera, the single lens reflex camera. And so it, had a, it has a motor inside, and you know now our iPhones do the same thing, right? They... they, 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 they they focus on the thing in the middle and then keep the other things kind of in their proper perspective. But this made all sorts of cool sounds and was amazing to, to work with because they just didn't have a lot of these back in 1987. But here's the deal. Jesus wants his followers to focus on what they're doing right now but also have the future in view at the same time. And so... It's almost like this autofocus camera. He wants, he wants us to be focused not just on one thing and forget about the future because remember what happened in the days of Noah. They were focused on life and they were forgetting about the future. Now you don't want to have the other problem where you, all you're worried about is the future and you, you go lock yourself up in your house and you, you take some provisions and, and uh, you say, I'm going to stay here until Jesus comes back. We're going to find you and it won't be pretty. You, you, need to, you need to be focused and, and remember you have this certain hope. If you're a Christian, you have a certain hope in Christ. It's a biblical one and, and it's generating more and more love for Christ and, and more and more longing for his return, but you're living this life in the process. So you've got to stay focused really almost on two things at the same time, the present and the future. Let me ask you another question. And it's in light of the second thing I brought up, this separation that's going to take place. And, and for this one, I've got a, a hammer. I've got a hammer in here that's done some good work. It's a used hammer because I've used it to do its, it does its job. The question is this. If, in light of the sudden separation that's going to take place, while people are just doing their job, and one will be taken and one will be left, have you given much thought to the work that God has assigned you to do until he returns? A lot of people will say, a lot of Christians will say, you know, I don't, I'm not the Clarks serving in South Africa. I'm not going to Vietnam. You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary or whatever. So I have relatively unimportant work to do. And as soon as I get off work, I'll, I'm going to try to serve the Lord and, and, and preach the gospel. Wrong way of thinking. Wrong way of thinking. One of the chief doctrines of the, of the Protestant Reformation was the idea of vocation. And we jump to working, right? Oh, yeah, your job. No. God's calling in your life for the various roles that you play. Whether it's Christian, husband, wife, father, mother, brother, sister, citizen, and scientist, attorney, plumber, teacher, musician, whatever you are. Whatever God has given you to do. Whatever God has endowed you with wisdom in order to accomplish. You know, plenty of people will say to me, well, you know, I have a really boring job. 
And my response is, well, can you find beauty in the ordinary? Can you find beauty in the, in, the, in the boring? Can you see that God has given you gospel work to do in, in, in what you might consider mundane? And that you might even not consider spiritual work? And can you get your, your, your mind around the fact that God has ordained you to be doing what you do on a daily basis and that he wants you to serve him in the middle of that? In the process of that, not separate from. See, every Christian has gospel work to do, and every Christian is called to do that gospel work in the church and the world. You are not off the hook if you've been endowed by God with wisdom in science and medicine and, or law or engineering or, or mathematics or music or teaching or any other discipline. On the contrary, He has sent you to serve the king, maybe even in a pagan environment. And he's ordained you to do it, and he's chosen you to do it, and he wants you to do it, and so does your church. We're behind you. We're praying for you, because you're there. We're somewhere else. Think about glory to God. Bring glory to God in the midst of the work he has given you to do. Because remember this. Blessed is the, is the servant who is, who, whom, whom his master finds doing his assigned tasks. So you're called to go to, let's say you're a scientist, and you're working in a laboratory, and you're trying to figure something out, and you go in there every day. God wants you to go there and do your work to the best of your ability to glorify him. But he also wants you to take the gospel there. You're, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You got the word of God. You're to go there like that don't get rid of the Holy Spirit and the word of God when you step into the laboratory bring glory to God and gospel truths everywhere you go I've also got this backpack this is the third question for you in light of the third thing I brought up in light of the sudden intrusion of the son of man into everyday affairs how pre- have you given much thought to your preparedness? Your personal preparedness. Now this backpack, my son gave it to me because he didn't think it was cool enough, I guess. He, but it's a dad backpack, I guess. It's got lots of different pockets and all that. I took this to South Africa. I took it this weekend to the elders retreat. Packed five minutes before I left to South Africa. And the retreat. Why you need to pack, you know, sooner than five minutes? I don't pack two weeks ahead of time and then wait. Got other things going on, Right? Don't do that, though, with eternity. Plenty of people, all sorts of people, are just delighted to wait about making a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. And they're thinking, well, I got this backpack. I'll fill it up with what I need at the time. I'll I'll respond when I'm ready. All I can say is, why would you want to devalue your life to that extent? Why would you want to devalue your life to that extent and say, my eternal soul doesn't really matter that much? I got a lot of, I've talked to people before who say, you know, someone hurt me and they were a Christian, so I'm going to punish them and God by not believing in Jesus. So you're going to go to hell because somebody hurt you. That's just ridiculous. It's not even logical. 
In light of the sudden intrusion of the Son of Man, have you given much thought for your preparation for the day that Jesus returns? Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know at what hour he's coming back. So why wouldn't you get ready? Why wouldn't you get prepared? By the way, here's what you can't take in the backpack. A backpack. You can't take one. You can't take your diamond ring. You can't take your gold watch. You can't take your house. You can't take your car. All these things that we cherish here on earth. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is the preparation for the day of Christ. That is the preparation for the return of Christ. I want to bring one more thing out here. I brought a medal. Couldn't find any of my old track medals from high school, so I stole one of my sons. He let me, actually, he let me bring this one. He said, don't bring that one. It's really important, but this one you can bring. So I guess I can break this one. Here's the question. Let me go back to the other three. First of all, number one, are you focused on the future while, while living today? You need to be if you're a Christian. And do you do your work for his glory? You should. The third thing is really, you got to know Jesus yourself. You got to be prepared. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. And that's, no one's being arrogant towards you. We're being compassionate. We want you to know the Jesus we know. The Jesus revealed in the Bible. But I want you to think about in light of the sudden conclusion that will come upon the universe. Have you given much thought to what future reward awaits you? Are you just getting by? Is it like your grade point average? I'm just getting by or are you an honor student, right? It's not that. It's not us earning our way. You know that right now is the award season in all the schools. You know that, right? Preschools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, and, and the like. They're all giving out awards to people. You can be the valedictorian, the, the salutatorian, the whatever else you want to be. And by the way, it's not youth sports where everyone gets, uh, everyone gets a trophy. You, only a few people get these awards. But every one of those people getting all these awards, they have to go home and go to sleep and, and, and think about their eternal soul. They might be like the people in the days of Noah and go, you know, it doesn't matter. I won't think about that right now. They eat, drink, and be merry, all that stuff. Or they really will think about it. They will really think about the future rewards. The Bible says um, in a race, everyone runs, and not everyone receives the prize. But they do it to, to receive a perishable wreath, like some leaves around your head. And then they get brown and you throw them away. But we do it to get an imperishable prize. We're not earning our way to heaven. We're, we're receiving a blessing from God that we will turn back in praise to Him. Can you rethink a reward with me? It's not what I get for what I did right. It's what God blesses me with because of how good He is for me to give more glory to Him. Now, what are the rewards listed in this passage here? Well, you've got the reward of blessing, which would signify heaven. You've got the reward of judgment, which would signify hell. Those are rewards. If you're a Christian, I've got a a strong encouragement for you that you might be able to do today. Isn't it always good to go, you know, leave church and just do something right away that you know you're, you're practicing what the Bible says? Now, you might practice it tomorrow or the next day or maybe in two weeks. But here's the thing. The next time you have an opportunity to preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ 
in your area of of engagement do it don't chicken out don't wait till another day don't think they're going to reject you and all the things we tell ourselves go for it dive in see it's not about oh hey i'm 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 covered i'm prepared now everyone else can go no it's i'm prepared and i want everyone else to be prepared and i want to preach the gospel where i'm at oh i've been chickening out oh i haven't done it oh no one knows i'm a christian well guess what just surprise them they're gonna be maybe a little shocked it's all right hopefully they'll say i thought there was something different about you but the next time you have opportunity preach the gospel there might be somewhere you go every day of the week that you have not once had had taken the opportunity to to share christ with anyone in that location could be your work could be your classroom could be could be starbucks i don't know where you go every day might be your own home parents you need to preach the gospel to your kids open up the bible with them let me mention one more thing only god knows the things that he knows that we don't know we have to watch and be ready it's like when you're driving you're driving keep your hand on the wheel but look to the horizon don't forget what's right in front of the car but don't forget what's out there on the horizon as well there's this appropriate balance it's like when you're riding a bike you're riding your bike you're not looking straight down because you're going to run into something but you're not going to ignore what's in front of you either there's this 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 appropriate balance of the future and the present orientation we're living in the last days people we are living in the last days how does jesus say that we should operate now in light of his promised visible bodily sudden return let me tell you what my what my aim is i want to be so immersed in loving jesus that i that i truly long for his return moment by moment and live for his glory everywhere he sends me everywhere i go every day let's pray lord god thank you that you are great and good and gracious and kind and that you don't leave us without opportunity to believe to obey to trust you lord i pray that everyone hearing these words would would love the lord jesus with all their heart i pray for anyone who's hearing these words that 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 doesn't know christ that's that's one of those ones that are unconcerned or waiting for another time lord impress it upon their hearts that that they can't mess around with their life and be so casual and be so cavalier and be even so reckless help them to see what is truly important and every christian that hears these words lord i pray that we would love you so deeply that we would love those you love and that we would kindly and directly preach the gospel of the grace of god in christ to them and show it with our life we pray in christ's name amen